Well, what's up, Harbor Church? Everyone feeling good today? All right. You're like, who is this guy? Hey, my name is Brian Rowe. I'm a, a student pastor in Central Florida, a church called Church of the Springs. I oversee a student ministry there at three campuses, and I'm also one of the teaching pastors. And I, I'm so honored to have been here this weekend uh, with Tim and his team. They're doing, uh, I mean, let me tell you something, they are slaying it in student ministry here. And, and if, if you're a little older, that, that's just a term that means they're doing really, really good at leading these students toward the cross of Christ. And so um, I'm really honored to have been a part of uh, what happened here this weekend. Uh, man, you got some great students. If you're a parent, I just want you to know that, that really there is no better investment in your student than connecting them with the student ministry here and the small group leaders and the host home people that, that took care of them this weekend. You made a real good decision putting your teenagers where you put them this weekend. So I commend you for that. I know it's hard trusting other people with your kids sometimes. Uh, look, I want to talk to you today <clears throat> about hearing the voice of the Lord. And that's, in fact, what I've talked to our students about this entire weekend I think the book of Job, chapter 33, verse 14, says it best when it says that God speaks to men and women all the time. Men and women don't always recognize his voice. You see, the issue is not whether or not God speaks to us. The question is whether or not we are listening. I wonder sometimes in my life how often God has spoken to me and I wasn't really paying any attention to it. I grew up uh, outside of Chicago and... um, when I was growing up in Chicago, I was growing up, uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I love Chicago sports. That's one of the things I absolutely loved about Chicago. And I, I grew up during the Michael Jordan era. Any Michael Jordan fans in here? Do you just love that era when the Bulls were kicking butt and taking names? Good, all three of us are going to have a great morning. Um, but I loved Michael Jordan. I really believe Michael Jordan to be one of the greatest athletes of all time. In fact, I asked the uh, media team to find a picture of him. If you guys can throw that on the screen. Let me just say again, I asked the media team. I did not choose this picture, but um, Jordan was magic, and I think that this picture really illustrates that well. He, he, had to, he certainly had a certain amount of magic. I really believe Michael Jordan to be the greatest athlete that, that ever was. I believe that. If you disagree, like, that's totally fine. You're entitled to your own wrong opinion. But I believe that Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete of all time. And so growing up, every kid in Chicago and a lot of kids around the world wanted to be like Mike. But there was one other athlete that sort of was iconic for me. His name was Walter Payton. Uh, Walter Payton was one of the Chicago Bears. Uh, He was a part of the 85 Bears that won the Super Bowl. And the Bears haven't done much since then, but that's another story. But all that to say that I just thought Walter Payton was incredible. He was a leader on his team. He made great plays all the time. He was uh, a great man in terms of just leadership and all that. So as a kid, I looked up to Walter Payton. Well, you can imagine how excited I was when my parents told me that Walter Payton himself was opening a restaurant right near our home in Aurora, Illinois about 30 miles west of Chicago. I was like, are you kidding me? Walter Payton's opening a restaurant. What they were going to do is take this old train depot. It's called the Roundhouse. And they were going to convert it to a new brewery called the Walter Payton Roundhouse Restaurant. I was, I was thrilled. And so you can imagine how disappointed I was the night that my parents came to me and said, hey, we're going to Walter Payton's Roundhouse. I said, really? And my dad said, son, I mean, your mother and I, we got you a babysitter. She said you loved me. So my parents went out on a date night. They went to the roundhouse, and I went to bed early that night because I was sad, understandably so. My parents went to this restaurant that I envied, and it wasn't long after I'd gone to bed before I got a knock on my door. 
It was the babysitter. Babysitter comes in holding the phone, says, your parents want to talk to you. I said, that's weird. So I, I picked up the phone. I said, hello. And my mom and dad said, uh, hey, Bri. My mom said, hi, sweetie. Were you good tonight? Of course. And my mom said, hey, I have someone here I think you might want to talk to. I'm like, oh, okay. So here's the next voice that I heard on the phone. Hey, Brian, this is Walt Payton. Are you being good for the babysitter? I thought about it for a moment. Now, my dad had this thing where whenever he was traveling for business or he was anywhere, he would always call us and prank us. He would always call my brother and I and pretend to be someone else. And my dad had one voice for every grown African-American male athlete, and it sounded like this. Hey, Brian, this is Walt Payton. So I just assumed that this was the voice of my father on the phone. And so I said, Dad, very funny. Voice on the other side of the phone. No, Brian, I'm telling you the truth. This is Walt Payton. You should be here with your parents eating a cheeseburger. And I said, I'm sure I should, Dad, but I'm kind of tired. I'd like to go to bed. And so I hung up the phone, handed it back to the babysitter, and got some shut-eye. The next day, I go to school. I come home from school, and my mom is looking through these pictures. You see, back in those days, what you had to do is you had to, like, take a roll of film to a store... They would, like, develop it, and then you'd get these pictures back. Can you believe that? It's crazy, right? So she's looking through these pictures, and she says, Honey, come here. I want to show you something. So I come over, um, and, and she's showing me pictures of them standing with Walter Payton, who eventually actually sat and had dinner with them, as the pictures would go on to show. At one point, uh, with Walter Payton holding his drink in, in this hand, and the phone in the other hand talking to me as I'm on the other line, convinced that it's... My dad. You know, when you don't know which voice you're hearing, it's kind of hard to know how to respond. Would you agree? And I want to talk to you today about the two voices that are warring for your attention. The two voices that are always in competition day in and day out as you go. I want to do that today by looking at a passage in John chapter 8. If you have your Bible with you or you have an app on your phone, you can turn or swipe there to John chapter 8. It's a familiar story for you if you grew up in the church. If not, that's probably a good thing because maybe you'll see it with fresh eyes today. But I would hope that all of us would come at this story of the woman caught in the act of adultery with fresh eyes this morning. Here's what the Bible tells us. It says that Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives, verse 1. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Let me pause there for a moment. Even though it was a little rude for them to interrupt Jesus as he was teaching the masses, this thing, this scenario that's taking place was nothing out of the ordinary. Because in ancient Hebrew law, there was the stipulation that if someone was caught in the act of adultery, you would in fact drag them into the public square or into the public arena, and you would strip them bare, tie them up, and commence the stoning of that person. Oftentimes, the teachers of religious law would stoop down in the ground and write in the dirt with their finger what the charges were being brought against that person, so that if the crowds gathered, not having heard or seen what was transpiring, they could simply read 
why justice needed to be served. Are you tracking with me so far? Then men would often take their garments and they would lay it at the feet of the accusers as a way of consenting to the stoning that was about to take place. And oftentimes, more often than not, the woman who was caught in this act would not walk away alive. So, so this, although it's barbaric and although in our you know, modern judicial system, we might think that this is a bit outrageous. This was not out of the ordinary by any means back then. And so they said, Jesus, this is what the law stipulates. What do you say? Because really, at the end of the day, there was no room for grace and mercy when justice needed to be served, right? Well, we'll see. What do you say? Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. They did this rather often. But Jesus stooped down and wrote something in the dust with his finger. I always wanted to know what Jesus wrote. Because we, we know from history, we know from historic tradition that, as I said a moment ago, oftentimes the accusers would write the charges in the sand. I wish we knew what Jesus wrote. I mean, was, was he writing scripture? Was he drawing some sort of barrier or a boundary around the woman? Was he challenging the Pharisees to an epic game of tic-tac-toe? We'll never know. But one thing I do know is that something about what he wrote was significant. The Bible tells us why. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, I'm sorry, yeah, it says, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and wrote again in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I get this picture in my head that Jesus is locking eyes with this woman whom in her eyes he can see the sorrow, he can see the shame, he, he can see the, the, the uh, uh, foundations of condemnation that have built up inside of her. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? I love this next line. Did even one of them condemn you? Or as another version of the text says, who condemns you? Hold on to those three words. No, Lord, verse 11, she says. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Who condemns you? Jesus says, because I certainly don't. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is no longer under condemnation. Who condemns you, Jesus asked, because it certainly isn't me. So if you're hearing this voice of condemnation, you can be absolutely certain that it's not coming from God. But if we're real honest today in church, uh, we hear that voice a lot, don't we? We hear the whisper of condemnation in our ear telling us these, these lies of how the sin impacts us personally and pervasively and permanently. And we start to get convinced that, that maybe it will always be the way that it always was. And, and it, it affects us, doesn't it? But Jesus reminds you today that if you hear the voice of condemnation, it does not come from me. But why is it then that so often we think that it does? Ben Rector is one of my favorite recording artists, and in one of his songs, I will not sing it for you. If I do, you will go find another church pretty quickly. But um, Ben Rector, in one of his songs, says it this way. He says, sometimes the devil sounds a lot like Jesus. 
And it does sound a lot like Jesus. The lies oftentimes sound a lot like the truth because what is a lie if not simply a twisted version of the truth? Or as Mark Twain once said, a, a half-truth is, is a whole lie. Sometimes we're not really sure who we're hearing, and if we don't know who we're hearing, we're not really sure how to respond. And if we respond incorrectly, then the voice that we hear now could really dictate the future that we experience tomorrow. Are you, are you tracking with me? By the way, as a preacher, y'all just need to know, I get real lonely up here. I'm not like a charismatic preacher or anything, but, um, but if, if, if the Lord stirs something in you tonight, or tonight, hello, today, uh, it's been a long weekend, y'all. If the Lord uh, stirs something in you, it's okay to yell amen, it's okay to shout, preach it, brother Brian, grab your tambourine, do, what you, do whatever you need to do. Um, but, uh, but really, like, like talk, talk to me today, because I want to know if God's speaking something for you, like, I don't want it to affirm me, but I, I want the Lord to know that, that something's getting through to you today. So, so don't hesitate to clap your hands or shout amen or, or preach at Brother Row or Row or whatever you want to shout. All right. <laughs> so let me introduce you to the two voices that are conflict, conflicting for your attention and conflicting for your affection. The first voice is the one that I've mentioned a couple times already, and don't judge my handwriting. It is by no means my spiritual gift. Okay. The first voice I would call the voice of condemnation. If you're taking notes, write that down. The voice of of condemnation. I'm trying to write this nice and thick so that you can read it here. First service I wrote it, it wasn't thick enough. People in the back couldn't see it. And hopefully I'm spelling this right today. Condemnation. Here's how you'll know that you're hearing the voice of condemnation. Condemnation circles the problem so as to draw you away from God. Condemnation circles the problem with the goal of drawing you away from God. But there's another voice that's at play. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the voice of the Holy Spirit we could call conviction. The difference is, whereas condemnation circles the problem so as to lead you away from God, conviction circles the solution, you guessed it, so as to lead you closer to God. There's a huge chasm of difference between the two, and yet somehow it's so easy for us to get the two confused. Let me make it even simpler for you. Condemnation, at the end of the day, is nothing more than counterfeit conviction. If the goal of conviction is to show you that your sin is, is offensive and deplorable and disgusting in the eyes of God, well, condemnation does that too. But see, it's the result or it's the outcome of that realization. It's the outcome or the realization of, of, okay, well, I'm starting to see my sin the same way that God sees it. What now? It's that what now question that both of these voices aim to, to change. Because condemnation says, well, what now is you, you've screwed up, therefore you are a screw up, and God no longer wants you, and God no longer can use you. Conviction is quite different. See, con con conviction says, yes, you've screwed up. That's why the Father sent a Savior named Jesus 2,000 years ago to save your life on the cross of Calvary so that you can have a better tomorrow. Amen, somebody? That's good news today. I hope you're glad you came to church today because I'm about to bring it. Okay, check this out. I want to give you three differences between these voices because even though I give you that, it's still hard sometimes to discern or, or differentiate between the voice of the enemy and the voice of our Lord. Let me give you three differences if you're taking notes today. 
today, I would highly, highly encourage you to write these down. Here's the first difference. It, the, these voices aim to impact us personally, right? And here's what I mean. The voice of condemnation, this will be on the screen. The voice of condemnation says, I am defined by my sin. You sin, therefore you are a sinner. Whereas the voice of conviction, watch this, says, I am defined by Christ's sacrifice. The enemy wants you to believe that because you've sinned, you are defined by that action or that thought or, 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 or that word that you spoke to somebody. And, and that ultimately is who you are. I remember uh, a while back, my wife and I were walk, watching a, a, a crime show. We love cop dramas like Chicago PD and shows like that. At the end of a long day, I love to just come and kick back and watch, watch those kinds of shows. Well, we're watching one a, a few years back, and I don't remember which show it was, but there was one scene that, that I really, uh, man, it stirred me. And here's why. Because I remember that it was in an interrogation room. You know what I mean when I say that? Like you've got like that one kind of small table with one chair and the guy's kind of handcuffed to the table and, and, and you know, maybe there's like a, a cigarette kind of lightly smoking here and there's, there's, there's this one kind of creepy, dimly lit light hanging down and they've got the one-way mirror window thing. Are, are, are you getting the picture? So you've got the bad guy, you've got the criminal sitting at the table and you've got this one cop looming over him and this cop, who's kind of a corrupt cop, leans over to him and he goes, all right, man, uh, obviously you know why we're here. Uh, why don't you just go ahead and say it? And the criminal, the bad dude's like, say what, man? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. No, just, just, just say it. I'll, I'll help you. Let's say it together. I am a murderer. Man, I'm not going to say that. I'm not a murderer. You don't know. He, no, 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 no. It's cool, man. Like everyone else here, everyone else knows it. Like, you know it, we know it, so why not just say it? I am, come on, say it with me. I am a murderer. I'm not going to say it. I am a murderer. Seriously, dude, you got the wrong guy. I am, and just try to convince him that his identity is in what that thing there, that he may or may not have even done. For some reason, that clip from that episode of that show stirred me deeply because it made me realize that so often the enemy is tantalizing me, interrogating me, trying to convince me that I am defined by my sin. Say it with me. Come on, Brian. It's cool. We both know it. I am an addict. I am angry. Ooh, everyone knows it. Might as well say it. I wonder what the enemy would say of you if he loomed over you and interrogated you in just that subtle kind of endearing voice. That's cool. We both know it's true. I am a divorcee. I mean, you're not the only one, <laughs> clearly. I am an alcoholic. Just go ahead and say it. I am fill in the blank. We've all had moments like that, haven't we? I mean, where we were just so convinced that we were defined by the sin. But the Bible tells us another story, doesn't it, church? The Bible tells us in Romans 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The Bible tells us that we are not defined by our sin, but rather defined by the sacrifice that was, that was given for us 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Therefore, look at me, when God the Father looks at you and I, if we are in Christ, he doesn't see the sin that we see. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he sees. Not defined by that sin anymore. We're defined by his sacrifice. And as long as we listen to the voice of condemnation, we miss it. But the voice of conviction reminds us that no matter how bad it's been or how deeply or far you've gone, you are still defined by Jesus. Not only do, does the voice that you choose to listen to affect you personally, the voice you choose to listen to uh, impacts you pervasively. What I mean by that is there's this idea that somehow everything in my life is impacted by the choice that I make. And in some ways, that's true. I'm not by any ways downplaying the fact that our sin or our actions have earthly consequences. We all know that to be the case, don't we? But here's the difference. Write this down. The voice of condemnation says, I make all things worse. Whereas the voice of conviction says God makes all things new. Amen. Sometimes when I sin, there's this voice of condemnation whispering into my spirit, Brian, um, you have messed up and it's going to screw everything else up in your life. It, it, it wants to convince me that just because I've lit a match, the rest of the house and everything in it is, is going to burn down. That's, that's kind of how it works with sin. But see, God tells me a different story. I, you know, I remember a few years ago, maybe you guys remember this, uh, DirecTV ran this ad campaign. They had this series of commercials that were um, kind of exaggerated circumstances about what could happen if you don't drop cable and switch to DirecTV. Any of you guys remember these? Um, like, for instance, I remember one where they, they, it starts with a guy sitting on a couch, and it shows the cable going out. And uh, it says, um, when your cable goes out, you get angry. When you get angry, you blow off steam. When you blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, they want to know how you're tough. When people want to know how tough, you get in a fight. When you get in a fight, you wind up in a roadside ditch. Don't wind up in a roadside ditch. Drop cable and get direct TV. I can't believe I just remembered that. It's amazing. Wow. Thank you. But I love that ad campaign because it, in a very exaggerated sense, mind you, but, it, but it, it displays for us, it portrays for us what we think sometimes will happen if we flip. If, if we screw up, and the voice of condemnation kind of plays that reel in my head pretty often, right? Like, like, Brian, you have sinned, therefore it's going to lead to all of this catastrophe. And he'll remind me of this one time in my life where that actually happened. Like, Brian, you remember that time back when, when you said that thing and did that thing, and, and then everything just, just blew up? But, but he forgets to remind me of the many times when God made things right. But Because why would he do that? Why would he show me the highlight reel when the blooper reel is so much more entertaining? Right. But again, the voice of conviction says something quite different, doesn't it? Because my God and Savior reminds me that just because I have screwed up doesn't mean that everything in my life is going to blow up. You see, because my God... I have been reminded time and time again, is in the business of making all things new. 
The Apostle John gets this vision in the book of Revelation of Christ sitting on the throne, and he makes this big statement. The first thing John hears, uh, Christ the Savior says, Behold, I am making all things new. Now notice he didn't say, I will make all things new. He says, I am making all things new, which means that right now at this very moment while you sit here in church and listen to me preach, God is behind the scenes working on a better version of your story in your future than you could write yourself. How great does that make our God? I can barely say it without coming to tears because I look back. Isn't it true that God's activity in your life sometimes only makes sense in reverse? Come on, that's... Somebody's feeling me this morning. You look back and you're like, only Jesus. Only Jesus could have done that. I'd have screwed that up so bad. And even in those moments when the the voice of condemnation wants to convince me that God has abandoned me or God has forgotten me or God has given up on me and I've screwed everything up and it's, it's 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 just junk from here on out. It's just brokenness from this point forward. God says, yeah, play that highlight reel again, will you? Because I have always been behind the scenes of your life, making all things new. And I'm just getting started. Am I preaching to you today? Are you glad you came to church this morning? Come on, somebody. The voice we choose to listen to impacts us personally, pervasively, and permanently. Let me tell you what I mean by this this idea of permanence. The voice of condemnation says, I will always be a failure in my sin. Can we get that on the screen, media team? The voice of condemnation says that I will always be a failure in my sin. The way that it was is the way that it always will be. Whereas the voice of conviction says, I will always be a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's it. I had a young man who was in high school, I think he was just entering high school, who I was mentoring a few years back. And he said something to me I haven't forgotten. He said, Brian, his name is Alex. He said, Brian, uh, I've, I've, I've got this struggle in my life, man. I've got this sin, I've got this addiction, and, and it's just plagued me for as long as I can remember. And what I want to know is this. Should I just brace myself that this is the way that it's always going to be? Like, is the sin that I'm experiencing and have experienced going to be the sin that defines my future as well? It's a great question, would you admit? I mean, can we just have an, can we be honest in church today? I know this isn't the place for honesty, but, but you know, if we could just be honest, uh, we, we admit that, that there have been times when we've all wondered that, right? Come on. We've all wondered, like, is this always going to be the way that it is? And I looked at him and I said, Alex, you got to know that the question you're asking today is a question that I have asked myself time and time again. But there's something I've realized about God. So when God is planning your future, he does not consult your past. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to remember that today. Someone who came to church today needed that word. I feel that in my spirit. When God maps out your future, he does not consult your past. The way that it was does not have to determine the way that it will always be. 
Well, the voice of condemnation would say otherwise, right? I mean, I mean, come on, if, if you've been in this pattern for so long, if you've conformed to this addiction or this way of operating, then, then how audacious, how bold, I mean, how arrogant for you to think, how naive for you to think that it would ever be different. And, and, and really, if it were up to us, the voice of condemnation would be right, but it's, it's not up to us. It's, it's, the, it's about the fact that, that nothing is too hard for my God. In my power, things will never change. Believe you me, before I met Jesus, I tried real hard. But when we come to know the Lord, we find that we can be conquerors in Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors in the Lord our God. We stand in triumph, and it's not in God's eyes that one day we will be triumphant. It's that we have already won, and I know that sometimes in life it's going to feel like you're losing the battle, but take, take courage in the fact that your God and your team has already won the war. Praise God. You have already won the war. So if you are already on the side of victory, why not live as though that's true? Ooh. That's what the Lord wants to say to us today, friends, that even though the voice of condemnation says I will always be a failure in sin, the voice of conviction says I will always be a conqueror in Christ our Lord. Amen? It's funny because there are so many times where I wonder, like, I wish I could just, like, because I look back and I'm like, God has done so many things. He, he's changed my life in so many ways that I couldn't have predicted, uh, I couldn't have planned, I couldn't have put together on my own. Um, and sometimes I just wish I could like see my future, right? I just see like, could see where God wants to bring me because, some, I mean, isn't he in the business of surprising people, <laughs> right? Like I, uh, one of the best things that one of my mentors ever told me is one of the greatest prayers you can ever pray is, Lord, surprise me. <laughs> Because his surprises are always better than your, your predictions or your assumptions. I was in Africa a few years ago. And I've got three little kids at home. Uh, my, I think I only had two at the time. My daughter hadn't been born yet. I think my two boys were four and two. And I was on a mission trip in Africa leading the team there. And uh, I got a FaceTime call from my wife one morning. Well, I should, I should clarify it was morning where I was, but it was nighttime back there, right? So when I saw my wife and kids pop up on the other end of the screen, um, my kids are wearing their jam jams, and my wife's snuggling with them in bed. It was so cute. I said, hey, guys. They said, hey, Daddy. And my son, Stellan, he was four at the time, looked and could notice behind me that there was a bright sunshine and everything. And my son said, Daddy, what time is it where you are? And I thought about it for a moment. I go, oh, this is going to be fun. I said, Stellan? Where I am, it's tomorrow. <laughs> well, how do you, where are you? How, like he just, you could see the gear, like he was getting tired just because the gears were working so hard in his head, trying to figure out how is daddy? It's the next question he asked was precious. I love this. Daddy, what kind of day is it tomorrow? And that cute. So I thought real hard about it. I thought, I'm going to win some husband points. I said, tomorrow is a great day. Tomorrow, you're going to obey your mama. <laughs> tomorrow, you're going to take care of your brother, clean the kitchen, clean your room. You're going to do real good with your preschool work. It's going to be a great day. I could see my wife right behind him nodding at me like, when you get home, mm, <laughs> boy. It was hilarious. But 
here I am giving my family messages from tomorrow. I mean, it was this powerful moment, you know. But I always wondered, like, if I could FaceTime God and God could give me messages from tomorrow. Come on, somebody, come with me. If, if God could give me messages from my future, what would he say? Because I'm pretty sure that what he would say is not the same thing that the voice of condemnation would say. I'm pretty sure that he would say, look, I know that the voice of condemnation says you'll always be a failure in sin, but I'm telling you right now that you will always be a conqueror in Christ and you will see victory in your tomorrow that you could not have planned on your own because guess what? I'm already there. Three major differences between the, the, the voice of condemnation and the voice of conviction are personal, pervasive, and, and permanent. And it has been an ongoing journey of discipline for me to learn the difference between the two. And, and maybe it's been similar in your story. I'll just quickly close with this uh, story. I... Um, I grew up, like I said before, outside of Chicago, in uh, about 30 miles west of Chicago in a city called Aurora, and um, grew up in a church that was very conservative. Now, conservatism is not bad, but when it's coupled with legalism, it is. This church was very pharisaic. It was, uh, it was, it was all about how you perform for God and what you can produce for God, and, and then if you do that well, then God's going to show up and bless you, and well, just long story short... Um, I grew up with Tourette syndrome, ADHD, OCD, and a host of other weird disorders. And I remember being in middle school, I was on 10 different medications. Uh, some of them were itsy, itsy bitsy little pills, and other were ones were like low grade beaver tranquilizers. <laughs> and like, but if you're that kid, and you're, and you're on all these medications, and the doctors can't always figure out what's wrong with you. The therapists can't define you. The kids at school beat you up and make fun of you. Your teachers tell you that you're slow and you'll never amount to anything. It really doesn't matter what the people at church say at that point. But even if it did, the people at my church weren't very nice. They were hip- hypocrites. They were judgmental. They were just as mean, if not more evil, than the kids that I knew at school. And so, frankly, the only reason I went is because I was convinced that God had a blessing for me in the future. But by middle school, I had performed well. I was the most perfect kid that I'd ever met. <laughs> Hasn't changed. Just like, uh. But I hadn't seen God uphold his end of the bargain. Like God, I thought we had an agreement, right? Like I never missed a Sunday. I wore that clip-on tie. I still do sometimes. I, you know... <laughs> I sat up straight, I listened to the sermons, I didn't retaliate against the bully, I, I did my best in school, and I did all this, and I felt like God didn't show up. And so I remember in seventh grade, holding a cold steel razor blade to my wrist, convinced that if I were to take my life, God w- or the world would not miss me. I was convinced that even my parents were faking it when they said they loved me. And uh, that was one of the hardest moments of my life. But I remember shaking my fist at God angrily and, and telling him, God, if you really do love me, if you really do care, now would be a great time to show up and remind me. And then I did something really crazy. You ready for this? I just got quiet and I actually listened. And the Lord spoke to me. Didn't sound like Morgan Freeman. I was a little disappointed. <laughs> but this whisper in my spirit said, Brian, just wait, it gets better from here. And it was just a couple weeks later that my youth pastor invited me to go to a, a Bible camp in Indiana. 
didn't want to go because I was convinced that every Christian was a judgmental hypocrite and, and uh, I wanted nothing to do with them. But when I got to that camp, I met Christians for the first time who were just different. Maybe, maybe somebody like that was a person who impacted you to come to church or to become a Christian just like it was for me. I, I saw something in them and I said, I don't know what it is, but it's contagious and, and I want what they have. And my youth pastor explained to me the difference between a religion for God and a relationship with God. And I said, I'm done with this one. I'll take the latter. And my life has never been the same ever since. So, um, I tell you that ridiculously long story to tell you this ridiculously short story. So, just to close, uh, I remember a few years ago, I got a call to come back and speak for the church that I grew up in. And that, to me, was a huge honor. Because even though it wasn't always a great experience for me at that church, Um, they had transitioned out one senior pastor and they kind of had an interim period where they needed some people to come speak. And I said, wow, like that would be an incredible honor for me to come speak at the church I was raised in. I've never done this. So went back and spoke for the weekend services. But I told my wife, I want to go back a day early because I had some grandparents and some relatives in the Chicago area. I said, I'm going to fly in a little early, spend some time with family. And the, the part I was looking the most forward to, just from a nostalgic, you know, sense, like I wanted to drive through my old neighborhood where I was raised. And I remember as I was driving into my neighborhood, just that, that sentiment just washing over me and looking around going, oh, so many good memories here. Like, oh, I just remember my childhood. And you, know, you know how like until you go back to a place, you forget a lot, but then once you go, like all these memories start rushing back to you. It was that kind of deal. And then I just kind of parked in front of my old house where I grew up. And I just was looking inside. And, and all of a sudden, something happened that I never could have predicted. I didn't invite it. It just kind of showed up. The voice of condemnation whispered in my ear and said, ah, your old home where you were raised and depressed and suicidal and your parents pretended to love you. And look down the road. You see that big red brick schoolhouse? Oh, yeah, I remember that teacher that tied you to your desk with a rope because you wouldn't sit still and told you that you'd never be anything? Remember that kid on the playground who always beat you up, but Jesus said to turn the other cheek, so you did, you never retaliated, but even if you did, he would have won because you were weak, scrawny, and no one really cared. Remember when you got picked last for kickball? They didn't pick you, they were stuck with you. See that white house over there? You remember who lived there? Remember Jessica? Remember that girl? She was pretty, right? Remember when you did some things to her, when you kind of took advantage of her your freshman year because you thought that it would give you greater status in the school? And Did I tell you that she is divorced and she's had a couple abortions and she's got a lot of insecurity because of you? And on and on and on that went... And I had this moment where I literally just had to pull the car over and my forehead hit the steering wheel and I began to weep because I was so ashamed of what I'd done, where I'd been. Forget the fact that it was a couple decades ago and I was so far removed from it and God had created such a great highlight reel in my life, but why play the highlight reel where the blooper reel is so much more entertaining? But I had a moment in that moment when I did something just as I did in middle school when I was on the verge of a suicide attempt. 
I just prayed and I said, oh God, what's happening? I need you. And the Spirit of God at that moment said something I'll never forget. He whispered into my spirit, Brian, who condemns you? Because it sure as heck isn't me. Let's pray together. God, I thank you this morning that you've entrusted me with your holy word. Thank you that you've entrusted me with the people in this building. Thank you, God, that though all of us from time to time hear the voice of condemnation and like the woman caught in adultery, we deserve death, we deserve accusations, and at the end of the day, we deserve for you to be against us rather than for us, but the Bible says that you are for us and that you'll always want more for us than you want from us. What great news this morning, God. My prayer for my friends and I, I'm certainly in the same boat today, is that you would help us to be able to discern the difference between the voice of condemnation and the voice of conviction, the voice of the enemy and the voice of your spirit. Because God, I know that you always want better for us. I thank you in advance for the future that you have in mind for each person in this room. We simply surrender to your ways, your plans And in order to get us there, your voice. We love you so much and and just thank you for meeting us here this morning. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Thank you for letting me bring you this word today. God bless you guys.